Area 941 podcast are produced and distributed by Community Powered 94.1 KPFA Radio. Please help support Area 941 at kpfa.org. This is the Area 941 Radio Walensky Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Walensky. We're talking about books, about theater, about film, and sometimes about politics. My guest is Christine Dwyer, who plays the role of mother in Ragtime, which is at TheaterWorks Mountain View through June 26th. And for more information, you can go to theaterworks.org. Christine Dwyer has been on Broadway playing Elphaba in Wicked, and she was on tour for Rent. She was in the musical Finding Neverland, also on tour. She performed in NBC's Jesus Christ Superstar Live, which we'll talk about, and apparently recently was at Radio City, which I got from your Twitter feed. But before we go into some of the interesting elements of your career and your history, let's talk a little about ragtime. So the pandemic was over and you were beginning to reemerge and do theater. How did the role come to you? It was actually quite last minute because this was a production that had previously been cast for, I believe it was 2020. And they lost the person who was going to play mother. And I got the audition about three weeks before coming out here. So it was a really quick turnaround. I made a self-tape with a lot of the material that mother has to do in the show. And I found out pretty much the next day that I was going to be leaving New York in three weeks and kind of picking up my life and figuring out how to move across the country again and rehearse a show. So it was quite quick. You know, usually you get a little bit more time than that, but this is kind of jumping headfirst, you know, back into this crazy career that kind of takes you all over the place and kind of has you leave your life as you know it at the drop of a hat. You knew when you auditioned, this is going to be crazy. Yeah. Doing a 15 person ragtime is pretty insane. And, you know, we have 238 quick changes in the show. And we're singing on lots of other songs that normally, you know, we'd be backed up by an ensemble, but everyone's playing a million different characters. I had never actually seen Ragtime. I knew the music, but I didn't know quite how intense it was going to be until getting here and really putting it on its feet. But we have an unbelievable company of incredibly capable actors who have just been so open with rolling with the punches and figuring out how to tell this story with like a quarter of the cast that they had in the original Broadway production. I had seen it in Los Angeles before it came to New York, and it was a pretty incredible production. In addition to the costume changes, there are 50 scene shifts as well? Yes. I mean, it's a three-hour musical, and they introduce you to a lot of characters that, you know, kind of end up having relationships with each other. Because there are so many characters, there are so many different locations in the show. And so the scene changes are just what they are. I mean, it's a huge script. It's a huge score. It's a long show. And there are 
there's a ton to get through once it gets off and running. Had you read the book? Do you remember the book? I remember the book, but I hadn't read the book. And I also hadn't seen the movie. But the entire Broadway production, original Broadway production, is actually on YouTube. And so I watched it while I was getting ready to kind of pack up my life um, just to get a a feel for what it was going to be. So at that point, did they send you the script? I mean, did they just send you a PDF and you printed it out? How did that work? No, I actually, I didn't get the script until my first day of rehearsal. <laughs> so you were not off book for the first rehearsal? I was not. No, no, I was not. But these are long rehearsal days out here. And so it did get to the point where, you, you know, I kind of just started memorizing it because we were rehearsing so much during the day. It was probably the most unprepared I've ever felt going into a show because usually I would have gotten the script or it's a a show that I've been in for several times. This is not a show that I usually get called in for. Not a lot of people do it because it's really difficult. And I got handed the script and then we did a table read and I just kind of started memorizing the the very first day. It was a process for sure. For all of us, there are some people that have done it before, but they were playing different parts than they had played before, or they hadn't done a version that was this small. So all of us were kind of in the rehearsal room together, even though some people knew more of the show than I did. The other part of it is that since everybody's doubling up, I would think that there were some choral parts where you were kind of in disguise in the back. Mm -hmm. So you were actually in far more scenes than Mother is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Usually playing this part, you get those breaks where they're introducing the other characters, but we are all doing costume changes and then getting back on stage as quickly as possible so we can fill the sound of what normally is a 50-person cast. (laughs) Well, how do you develop a character in that short a time? I mean, you had the script. How do you make Mother your own in that amount of time. What kind of things do you look for in a role to put you in the role? I mean, it's a Terrence McNally script. So a lot of that hard work is done for you just because it's a brilliantly written script. All of the characters make sense. Their relationships to each other are strong. The scenes are very strong. It's it's a different type of book than you normally get in a musical Um, It wasn't hard to find her because it's so well written. I think I really mostly relied on the other actors in the room. We all kind of relied on each other because it is a very short time and we had to create that bond and that trust pretty quickly. But it was good. It It was a group of people that were all willing to do that. And we went out to lunch together and spent time talking about scenes when we weren't being worked with on stage. Like if there were other people that were rehearsing scenes and stuff, I know like specifically me and Leo Ash Evans, who plays Tate, went into another rehearsal room and just kind of went over our scenes on our own to, to create those relationships in the short amount of time that we had. You also have to work with the choral sequences, such as uh, in the song New Music, which are pretty pretty intense and must require a lot of extra work. Definitely. It took a lot of rehearsal outside of just the time that we had in the room. I spent both of my days off looking over this music and making sure that I 
was getting all of those slightly changed lyrics in new music. They wrote it so brilliantly, but there are like there's parts of Journey On and parts of New Music that that lyrically are just like slightly different from each other. And so really kind of drilling those on my own is how we got to that place. And then once the band got into the space, it was really, really helpful because the whole show is very musical. Even the scenes are set. The timing is very musically set and you can very easily get off the train and not be able to get back on it. So it required a lot of extra work from all of us, but we were all willing to do it and we were all happy to to tell this story at this time. Your other shows, Waitress, Finding Neverland, Wicked, it seemed like those shows wouldn't have that kind of difficulty. Rent might, I would think. It's hard to say because now I know those shows so well. Waitress is very difficult, much more difficult than it sounds like it is. The ensemble vocals are, they're strange chords that are tough to learn. And Wicked is like ragtime, very, very musical. All of the scenes have music underneath them that you have to get on board with and figure out your scenes so that you end things at the right time and and start things at the right time based on the music that's playing underneath you while you're doing these scenes. So all of them create different challenges. Rent was one that I just, I knew it was the, the show that really got me into musical theater. So I feel like I knew every single part of that show before I walked into that rehearsal. So it wasn't hard to learn that one. But this one, this one definitely was. And also, again, just not a role that I normally get asked to play or audition for. So I didn't know it as well as as some of the other things like Wicked or like Jenna and Waitress. This is more of a ensemble piece. I mean, your your role is somewhat somewhat smaller than the other ones. Yes. Yeah. I say that I have the easiest job in the show in a lot of ways because the other characters, Cole House and Tate, have unbelievably complicated material that's really hard to count. Like if you're a musician, it's really it's really difficult. I mean, a ton of 11 o'clock numbers basically for them throughout the entire show. And some of my stuff I think is a little bit is a little bit simpler, a little bit easier to learn. But still, coming into it, not knowing any of it, it was still a challenge for sure. How about the 11th hour number that you sing toward the end of the show? How difficult is that one? It's definitely hard, especially after all of that time. Kind of live in like soprano land for most of the show. And then you get this really big belty number at the end. It's difficult for sure. And it sits kind of right in that part of my voice anyway, that I have to like really throw my fastball (laughs) at the end there to make sure that I get enough breath to hold those notes out for as long as, as I need to. And I mean, we're all wearing corsets. So that's a whole other challenge that's difficult. Learning how to breathe and expand your ribs in a corset and sing an 11 o'clock number is something that I haven't experienced before. (laughs) Once that element came on, I really had to focus on my breath and focus on my technique, which for all of us, we haven't thought about it in years really now because of the pandemic. So even if you're going to voice lessons and stuff, there's nothing like actually just being up on stage again and and being emotional. And then on top of that, having to to think about your technique so that your voice can sustain the shows. And at the same time, you have to remain in character. Right. Yes. <laughs> One would hope. Barbara Cook would say that each song itself is its own story. And 
when you're working on a solo song like that, are you thinking of it in terms of the larger context? Are you trying to make the song itself its own story? Does that work like that for you? It has to be informed by everything else that's happened in the show. It's a beautiful standalone song, but Mother goes through so many shifts throughout the show. You meet her right in the beginning when she is kind of left to her own devices for the first time in her life. And she makes decisions to let Colehouse and Sarah and their baby into her home, which was not a thing that white people of that time did. And she made all of these decisions because for the first time in her life, no one was watching over her to make them for her. And so I think, you know, back back to before is so informed by all of the decisions that she makes from the very top of the show and how really progressive she is when she is allowed to be. And I think that that's more what the song is about to me. It's not really about her failed her failing marriage. It's not that. It's just it's her opening her eyes to the world that is as opposed to the world that people tell her is happening around her. You know, there's a great line in What Kind of Woman that she says, I never stop to think they might have lives beyond our lives. And that's such a huge light bulb moment for her that I think then carries over into how I perform back to before. Obviously, you get a chance, you want to be in ragtime, you haven't done it. But on the other hand, ragtime is a very progressive, politically progressive musical in that it incorporates feminism and racism and talks about the kind of changes that America goes through at the turn of the 20th century. Did that draw you to it as well? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that doing this show now, kind of when we're at the precipice of, I feel like, a lot of change and a lot of reckoning that our country has to do, I think it absolutely informs the way that we are performing it. It informs the way that it was directed. We've had several difficult conversations surrounding the piece and just how relevant it still is. Everything about it is still happening. And I think shining a lens on that is kind of what we're going for. When you talk about the difficult conversations going into it, what are the those particular conversations and how do you think those conversations informed the production itself? We also had two shootings happen when we were in rehearsals, one specifically targeted at the black community. We sat down that day and it actually it happened to be the day that we were introducing the guns that we use in the show for the first time. It just so happened to be that that's we had our weapons person there that was going to teach us all that stuff. And, and it was the day after that shooting. And we spent the first part of rehearsals sitting down talking about our feelings about it and we, how we all have different perspectives, you know, based on our upbringing, based on the color of our skin, based on all sorts of things. And so I think that having that conversation surrounding that horrible thing really opened up our cast, our company to trusting each other and making sure that everyone felt safe and validated and protected. And also for me, recognizing that it's, it's my job as a white person to make sure that the black people in our show feel safe because 
the traumas that they are going through in the show are much different than any any kind of personal experience than that I could draw on. And so making sure that that everybody feels validated and heard and you know we didn't use the strong language in the show until it was necessary, which I thought was important for people because you know it's it's important to know that that exists, but it's also important to know the weight that it carries. We just had those conversations surrounding the things that were happening in current events and the things that were happening in the show. And we just made it a point to be an open company like that. And I think that that really helped us along the way. Christine Dwyer, let's talk a little about your career. You grew up in Massachusetts. Your website says that you fell in love with theater when seeing Cinderella at the age of five. Yes, yes. I was a very kind of active kid who didn't have a lot of focus. And so my mom took me to North Shore Music Theater and we saw Cinderella and she sat us in the back on the aisle just in case I was being disturbing to other people. And she said that I just, the second that it started, I I was completely still the entire show to the point where she didn't think I liked it. And we were in the car and she said, you know, she, she said, did you like it? And I said, yeah, I want to do that. She remembers thinking like, oh, that's adorable at the time. And, you know, now I have done the thing that I said at five years old after seeing my first show that I wanted to do. And so it's pretty wild that theater like that has that deep of an effect on on people who end up doing it for a living, but it, it did. How did you figure out that you actually had the voice to do musical theater? I have an amazing voice teacher that I actually still go to named Noelle Smith. And I met her through my best friend, Katie Donovan, growing up. And she was her voice teacher. And then I got into voice lessons once I started doing the school plays. I auditioned for the first musical that that my middle school ever did, which was Bye Bye Birdie. And that's kind of when I started taking voice lessons and taking it seriously. I think I was 12 years old. And through her help, she really was the one that kind of helped shape my voice because I didn't have I didn't have a lot of soprano. I mean, I have a quite a deep voice for a, a female and I did when I was younger too. So those high notes didn't actually come naturally to me. I had to work really, really hard on them. I had about like five good, really b- belty notes in the middle of my voice and I could sing pretty low, but I didn't know how to access my soprano. So Noelle Smith is the person that I still go to and really helped me find my voice. Did your mother start buying cast albums for you? Yeah. Theater has always been, well, not always, I guess, but has been a part of her life for a long time. She fell in love with it when she saw One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I believe she said she was 23 or something. And she fell in love with the theater that way. And then we would just always go. It was just a thing that we that we did in Boston. You know, we saw Les Mis and we saw Miss Saigon. And then once I was really interested in theater, we saw all of the tours that came through if we could get tickets. She was a huge part of why I love theater so much and why it was in my life. You went to the Hart School, which I guess is a theater school, and you have a BFA in musical theater. Yeah. Your bio says that right after graduating, you decided to audition for the role of uh, Maureen in the national tour of Rent, and you and your mother just scooted on to New York? I graduated college and wasn't 
entirely sure that I was ready to move to New York. So I, I actually got in a car with my best friend, Katie Donovan, who I already brought up, and we drove across the country to California. And I wanted to see if I liked living out there. And while I was there, my friend Douglas Lyons, who is um, a playwright and an actor, he called me and informed me that he had sent my headshot and resume and cover letter into Telsey's office, who was casting Rent, and that I had an audition for Maureen. He didn't want me to give up on being an actor and, and coming to New York and being in, in musical theater. And I just, I just wasn't sure. I was a little bit lost after, after graduating college. And so really it's all, all thanks to him who wouldn't let me give up and sent my headshot and resume in and then got me that audition. I ended up flying home and then driving uh, to New York with my mom. And we actually picked Doug up on the way there. And I had one call back. And then two weeks later, I think, Ish, I was living in New York in a hotel room rehearsing Rent. So it was kind of a, a crazy, a crazy story. And I really do, I owe so much of my career to the fact that I've had supportive people around me, like my family and like friends of mine who wouldn't let me give up. How did you get to Elphaba? In the second national tour of Wicked, you started as the understudy and went to the standby. What is the difference? So the understudy performs in the ensemble every night and is the second cover for Alphaba. You wouldn't really go on unless the other two girls were out. The standby is, is an offstage cover and is ready to go on mid-show, ready to get painted green if need be, and is the first cover. So when Alphaba is out, the standby will go on 100% of the time, unless the standby is also sick. And then the second cover will go on and not be in their ensemble track and, and be playing the role of Alphaba. So essentially, for the role of Alphaba, you would kind of have to get a warning a day in advance, an hour in advance? With a role that big, you can usually tell when you're going to potentially be on. And also the great thing about that role is you become really close with the person playing Alphaba, the standby, and the second cover. You you have a bond where you all know that you have to kind of be there for each other. I understudied several women who would tell me, you know, hey, I, I'm really tired tonight. I'm going to call out tomorrow matinee, so you're going to be on. And I would know the night in advance. Sometimes they would wake up and have no voice and didn't realize that they were exhausted and I would find out, you know, a couple of hours before. Other times I've gone on mid-show where someone thinks that they can get through it and they start singing Wizard and I and realize it's that it's not going to happen for the rest of the show and there's so much vocally that you have to do in that role that it's not worth it to blow out your voice and then I would find out, "Hey, you're on now." And you've got to go to the alphabet dressing room, get painted green and then we're going to we're going to switch you out before Define gravity, so start warming up, kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are so many power ballads in in that show. Would the standby be that person who, say, if you're doing two shows, the star says, "I can't do two shows in a day." Would that be the standby or the understudy who would take over? The standby. You actually got a chance to more or less do the show once every couple of weeks, no matter what. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's it's such a huge role that you have to call out of the show. 
it was pretty rare that I, as the standby anyways, that I didn't get to go on several times. As the understudy, I know one of the girls from Broadway didn't go on for two years. (laughs) My entire ensemble contract understudying, I went on eight times the entire year that I was in the ensemble of that show. And then once I took over as the standby, obviously that got to be a lot more just because of the size of the role. And it's strange too, because in other companies of Wicked in other countries, actually, it's only a six show week job. And then this the standby is really an alternate and, and goes on twice a week. But in the US, we, we have it as an eight show a week job. Christine Dwyer, what was your first first time you stepped onto a stage on Broadway and how did that did that feel any different from the national tour shows? Oh yeah, I mean playing Elphaba on Broadway is definitely a different feeling. First of all, the the stage is raked, so you're kind of you're at like an angle the entire show, which is which makes it like 10 times more difficult. <laughs> And also, you know, that theater housed that musical for so long that they've built the stage for Wicked. Um, Wicked's not closing anytime soon. And so there's a lot more running around backstage because you come up through the floor, whereas on tour, you don't have to do that stuff. So the track backstage is much more difficult on Broadway than it is on the tour. But you at least get to sleep in your own bed every night as opposed to having to deal with a million different new, you know, allergies that you didn't know you had in different places um, on tour. So they they both have their own set of challenges, but it definitely did feel, I mean, it was, it was my Broadway debut. It was, it was my dream role. I saw it on Broadway with, with Adina. And I remember when I walked into the Gershwin, I sat in the seat that I, that I sat in as an audience member, my first time seeing the show, knowing that I was going to be in it. It was just a really incredible feeling and it felt it felt like uh, an arrival of of some kind. I talked to Nancy Opal about this because she did a lot of replacement. How do you deal with the fact that you have to kind of do a role very similar to the original performer, Adina, yet at the same time you definitely want this to be a Christine Dwyer role. How does that work? There's no way that you can fully get out of some of Adina's isms just because she she created it and it's what you've listened to on the on the album but they are actually good about not making you sound like her or making you sound like anybody but you they want you to be healthy first and foremost you get a lot of notes about the way that it's supposed to be sung for sure but i do think that you inevitably you have to find your own way of doing it because it is so difficult. And if you try to do somebody else's performance, you could potentially, you know, injure yourself or be out of the show for a long time because you're trying to sound like somebody else. So I I think that that in that way, I mean, I had great music directors. Adam Souza was the first person to teach me the ropes. Um, he was my music director on the tour. And I think having him really helped me navigate how to make it my own and how to keep it healthy for me. And he was really just great about that, about working with different people's voices. A friend of mine was in the national tour of Cats many years ago and in Miss Saigon. And 
He said that one of the good things about the national tour is that not only do you get paid, but you get a per diem. So in some sense, you can actually save more money from a national tour than living in New York and being on Broadway. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, it it, it is pretty wild. But that is 100% true. And, and it depends. It depends on the contract, too. We have so many different contracts now. But if you are on a production contract, which is what Wicked is, then yeah, you get you get extra money. And if you're smart about it and you are okay with living with people and kind of splitting nice Airbnbs that aren't too expensive, you can definitely save a lot more money on tour than in New York. And also just like food is cheaper other places and you can get the same type of food that you get, you know, in Michigan for like half the price, New York city. So that's, that's another part of it. That's a, a huge benefit of touring. Christine Dwyer, what were you doing the moment everything shut down and how did you deal with the two years or the year and a half? I had just started auditioning again. It was actually March 13th is my birthday. And that's kind of the day that we, as a Broadway community, all realized that Broadway was going to be shut down. So I was um, planning on celebrating my birthday and then I didn't. <laughs> and, you know, we all kind of thought, we thought, okay, this is this is going to be longer than a few weeks, but we didn't really assume that it was going to, to quite be this long. We thought maybe a couple of months, maybe Broadway would be back in the fall. And once we kind of realized that that wasn't happening, my husband and I packed up our stuff and got our dog and went home to hit his parents have a lake house in Maine. And we went there for a while. And then we went home and stayed with my parents for a while, still had our apartment in New York that we were paying for. But we just got out of the city because we were able to and really just relied on each other and on our families, because there was nothing else to do, really. I mean, we taught, taught a lot. We teamed up with Noelle Smith, my voice teacher, who has a bunch of students. And we are now her acting coaches for her studio. So to kind of keep us afloat, we did a lot of that stuff because auditions for colleges were still happening. Nobody knew how it was going to look, but everyone still had to put in their self-tapes and all of that stuff. So we did that primarily for, for money. We did a couple of concerts that we live streamed, outdoor concerts to kind of keep us afloat. But we, we really did rely on our families quite a bit. When you're talking about coaching, was that the working studio? Yes, yes. So we had the working studio and we kind of transitioned during the pandemic really from teaching actors who were already living in New York to teaching kids primarily, like about to go to, to college and high school kids and stuff, just because the, that's who was still taking lessons. You know, there weren't really any professional actors that were taking any lessons because there was nothing going on. Now we work with the Noelle Smith voice studio and we are her acting coaches, but the working studio is still up and running. We still have students that are older and working professionals in New York. How did Jesus Christ Superstar live in concert come to you? And what was it like working on a musical with cameras and everything's live and you're moving set to set and all that? It was really, really insane to see how much goes into those live musicals. The amount of just money that goes goes into making it look the way that it did. I was on stage singing backup for John Legend. I mean it was it was something that I never ever in a million years thought I would I would be able to say. And working working with someone like him and then also Sarah Bareilles, who then I ended up working on 
waitress with her as well. It was amazing to see people who who know their voices and know music and sound so well talk about what they needed from their microphones and things like that. Just having a, a front seat to watching the way that, that Sarah and John worked was, was really incredible. Then there's a whole other cast of characters. We rehearsed in the basement of a church on 57th. And then once we got into the space and started teching the show, we had basically like an entirely new cast of characters, which were the cameramen who were (laughs) running around lugging these huge cameras on their backs and trying to get all of the shots that they needed. And so it was like adding an, an entire other cast to what we had choreographed. So there were things that had to be changed. There were things that, you know, we had to watch out for in different ways than we than we did in the rehearsal room. But it was just really cool to watch those people work and watch just how good at their jobs they have to be in order to get these live productions up. It's it's really a, a huge feat. And um, I was so I was so grateful to to have that be a part of my career. It was it was so exciting. Did you ever get a chance to watch a, a recording of it afterward and see how it looked? Yeah, it took me a while to watch it just because I was I don't know, I was nervous. But um but I did I did watch it after and I mean I I really do think that we did a great job. It was intense and it was hard, but I th- I think what was really great about it was we viewed it as as kind of like a, a Jesus Christ Superstar live in concert. Like it wasn't, we, ju- we just had one stage and then we would bring set pieces out as opposed to really having to move to different sound stages and different sets and things like that. So it was much more of like a, a concert experience, which I think made it really translate well to, to being filmed. When I looked at your Twitter feed, I saw a lot of tweets about Radio City this last Christmas. Was that your first gig after the pandemic? Yeah, and it kind of came to me. It was not really something that was on my radar before, but they got a new musical director over there who I had worked with before, and he asked me to audition. And the audition was two days long, and we had to do choreography and learn music really fast. And sing this new music that we had learned while also learning new choreography because it's very fast paced there. And it's very, um, it's, it's the Rockettes. So you can't be the, the sore thumb on the stage that doesn't look like you belong there with all of them and how perfectly they dance. That precision dance world is, is something that I have so much respect for all of those women who are the Rockettes over there and all of the dancers in the ensemble. The things that they had to do and the things that they put their bodies through to put on the Christmas Spectacular, it was it was really incredible to watch and just not something that I thought that I would get to do. So yeah, that was my first time back and it was also like an, an entirely new experience for me. You've done very little film or television. Uh, do you see yourself going in that direction or you're just going to stick to theater? Well, I would love to do film and television. You know, I, I've been on tour for most of my career, so it's been hard to get those those TV gigs because you, you kind of have to be there. <laughs> you have to be in New York. You have to be where they're filming. So I think that I am going to focus on that going forward after this contract is over. I'm going to try to to make that a priority. So yeah, I mean, of course, it's something I'd want to do. My husband does a lot of TV, and it would just definitely be something that I'd be interested in. 
Christine Dwyer, since you began your career, of course, we have seen the rise of Me Too. I'm not going to ask you whether you had encounters because sometimes that's upsetting for actresses, but have you noticed a difference in how people behave since then? Yes. I wish that we would spend some more time unpacking the Me Too movement. I think being a woman in in America, a lot of our issues kind of get shoved aside. And I think that we still have a lot more work to do with that. There's still quite a bit of sexism that happens in all industries, but definitely ours, specifically when it comes to pay. Actresses are just not paid the same, not even close for doing the same the same type of job or um, even in some cases a more difficult job. So that is something that I would like to see change. I haven't seen that change yet, but there's definitely a difference like sensitivity training, like even even for this production we have we have someone who is making sure that that everybody is okay with being like touched in certain ways and that was a that was a thing that we that we talked about and that that's the first time that I have ever experienced in a rehearsal room, someone asking me if I'm comfortable, honestly. So I'm definitely seeing the change in that way. And that's really, really great. And I think that every company, I know specifically on Broadway, all of the companies did that sensitivity training. We There were people that would come in and talk to the companies and make sure that everyone was on the same page. And that is definitely a, a, a difference. And you've seen a difference in how you're treated. You know, when I've talked to actors, and this, both sexes, or however number of sexes there are at this point, being treated like, I don't know, a mannequin or not even human, has that changed at all? Yes, I do. I I think it has. There are some people that really want to be a part of the change and want to do the right thing. And then there are other people that are changing because they are afraid of getting in trouble. But you know what? <laughs> Whatever works. <laughs> I keep using this word. We, we are coming to a reckoning at this point where it's like, okay, en- enough is enough. Treat people with dignity and respect and treat people like human beings, no matter what color they are, what gender they are, and any of that. It doesn't matter. They're a human being and they, they are deserving of respect and dignity and they deserve to feel safe and validated and comfortable. So I definitely see that changing and I think it will only get better from here. Yeah, I do. Speaking of that, that means that people, women might be easier to find themselves in a directorial role as well, I would hope. Absolutely. Yeah. That's definitely a thing that that a lot of people are pushing for more people of color and leadership positions and more women in leadership positions, because they're just quite frankly, haven't been enough. And now we are recognizing that and realizing that we can be a part of the change. And so I know tons of my friends who are actively looking for musicians and actors and directors and music directors that maybe normally wouldn't have gotten a shot otherwise. And one final question, because it sounds as if you have nothing quite planned after ragtime. What would be a dream role for you? You know, it's like Shakespearean actors say, I want to do Lear. (laughs) And a number of divas say, 
I want to do Mama Rose. <laughs> what would be yours? The dream is always to have something created for you. That would be the the main goal is to to be a part of a brand new musical and a part coming up. But, you know, I think I would love to play Bobby in Company now that that is back on Broadway and they've, you know, kind of swapped the gender roles and all of that. That would be a, a big dream for me. In Gypsy, actually, I would love to play Louise, but I think I might be too old now. But that was always a dream role for me. But yeah, I think any role that I take on ends up kind of becoming a little bit of a dream role because you fall in love with all of these characters if you love what you do, which I, which I do. So I would love for something to be created for me. That would be the, the, the major goal. But I would just love to continue to be a working actor. That's the dream. And you have nothing set in the future or do you? Nothing as of now, but you know, I'm planning on going back to New York, maybe doing a little bit of traveling with my husband and then going back to New York and just trying to see see where we go from here. Things are coming back slowly but surely and I'll get auditions when I get them and hopefully I'll continue to, to work, but you know, I I plan on teaching a lot and I plan on just trying to continue to to do this thing that I love. You've been listening to an interview with Christine Dwyer, who plays the role of mother in Ragtime at TheaterWorks Mountain View, and it runs through June 26th. For more information, you can go to theaterworks.org. And if you search around, you can find Christine and the Ensemble in Jesus Christ Superstar Live in Concert. Feedback on this and other Radio Walensky podcasts is appreciated. You can write to bookwaves at hotmail.com. And feel free to search out other interviews at bookwaves.com or on the kpfa.org website. Until next time, I'm Richard Walensky on the Area 941 Radio Walensky Podcast.